Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host for today, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, Joe Masato, who's finally back after being on the road for almost an eternity here. Joe, how are you doing? I'm back in good old Oklahoma. Um, it was a long NBA odyssey, some some good games, a lot of travel, um, but I'm very glad to be home and I'm glad the Thunder has an extremely long home stretch coming up, really taking them through the holidays. So um, I'll take that any any day um, when, when they were, you know, home around Thanksgiving. Now they're going to be home for Christmas. So the, the schedule, despite some long stretches, I think sets up pretty well. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I think eight out of their next nine are at home. So if you're in Oklahoma City, I would definitely go to a game uh, no matter what you're doing. It should be a fun time. They're playing a lot of good teams, but it um, should be a lot of fun. But speaking of fun, last night the Thunder were in another tight game. They ended up coming up short against the Dallas Mavericks, 121 to 114. But there was a superstar duel in Dallas, Joe. What did you see in person? Yeah, those guys were tremendous. And um, sometimes... Like the the couple games against uh, Memphis, you know, you're you're watching for the jaw SGA duel might not get it, but I mean, last night um, we we certainly got that at American Airlines Center. Um, starting with Shea, 14 of 23, just incredible efficiency. His third 42 point game of his career um, that ties his career high. I, I don't know, Michael, he can't get to 43, but he can get to 42 um, three different times. So. Um, 13 of 13 from the free throw line. And, and then Doncic um, wasn't as efficient, but still pretty efficient. 13 of 27, 38, 11, and 8. Um, those those guys, you know, the, the two leading scores in the NBA right now. I mean, um, just looked at the updated uh, scoring race. Now, Joel Embiid does not qualify right now because he hasn't played in 70% of his team's games. Um, but you look at Doncic, 33.1 points per game, SGA, 31.2, and then Giannis, 31.1. So um, SGA crept ahead of Giannis with that 42-point game last night. But I thought both of those guys were were really, really good. Oh, they were going back and forth all night. It was fun to see uh, Shea got that big dunk, which surprised about everybody. It's always a surprise yeah. when Shea dunks just because he, even though he's six foot six with long arms and athletic, it's surprising when he dunks because he's just so slippery and flipping the ball up, but you just never seen him really throw it down that often. That's a good point. Like dunks are inherently forceful and there's really no other, you know, forceful way that like he plays the game i mean he's more of like smooth and finesse and like you know crafty and getting to his spot so it's like a a dunk kind of like wakes you up like wow um and i don't even know how to describe his dunks i mean maybe maybe you can because even the even the big dunks there's there's a certain shayness about them it's like he just sort of like floats up there and you know and just the the two-handed dunks, I mean, almost all of his dunks are two-handed, which is kind of unique. But, um, yeah, he's he's just a pleasure to watch, man. Yeah, he's no Russell Westbrook just tearing down the backboards and the rims. No. It's like Statue of Liberty, but you said it with two hands. He just stretches his arms up, and it's like he's just reaching something on the top shelf and just dropping the ball in, which I'm yeah, doing my arms right now, even though this is an audio medium, but... 
It helped to me. Yeah, it helped. I mean, I can nice. You. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's weird because even when he dunks, everyone gets excited because it's like, this is a dunk. But if you just like watched it next to a lot of other, other dunks, it just doesn't feel like as much. But maybe we'll ask Shay about that. Maybe he's hiding some dunk contest potential, you know, in his back pocket or something like that. I, I don't think so. I would be, I would be surprised if that was the case. But hey, who, who knows? Um, I just have to get this out of the way, Michael, before we talk more about this Thunder Mavs game, which um, was just such a contrast of styles. I mean, the, the Mavs attempted 54 three-pointers, which tied a Thunder record for an, an opponent. But, man, I uh, may, maybe it was just getting tired at the end of a long road trip. Wasn't Didn't have my A game. I know I mentioned this the last time they played the Mavericks, but I think it is a shame that one of the best players in the NBA is borderline excruciating to watch. We sit pretty close in Dallas, one of the few places, uh, including Oklahoma City, where we still sit pretty close to the floor so you can like hear and see things pretty clearly. And um, it, the, the funniest part of the game was, I think it was after Luca drew a foul in the second quarter, Mark Degdrop, <laughs> Told official JB DeRosa, we're not here for the Doncic MVP game, which was like trying to set the tone of, hey, like we we know his antics, don't let it happen. But I don't know. I I'm sorry to take you on this tangent, but I just I just he he really frustrates me to watch. Oh, he's grading on some of that. He's so skilled, he's so talented, but he just it's like Chris Paul, it's like James Harden, where he's just on the officials the entire game. It feels like he it's could worse. get one tech. It's worse game. though. Yeah, I think it's worse. And I don't know, he has a long leash as well. Like, that was his first technical in a month, I think. Um, obviously, star players get a long leash. I mean, Chris Paul obviously does, but I don't know. Anyway, he was, besides that, I mean, he was obviously brilliant in this one. Just to see their style of play, it's like they had two missions every time down the floor. Either, you know, Luca was going to attract attention, um, in the paint and then he kicks out to shooters or he just you know creates for himself and, and like i said 22 of 54 from three the maverick shot that's 41 percent. the thunder was 10 of 31 32 percent. so the mavs outscored the thunder 66 to 30 from three and you know the thunder was more efficient it shot 47 percent, 48 percent compared to the Mavs 42 percent. but you're just that's a game of math i mean it was just like the mavs their volume of three-point attempts on good percentage um, was enough to to win this game. I mean, they hit more threes than twos as a team, which is crazy to think about. Um, But that's kind of their formula for winning, and that's how they beat the Thunder last night. I mean, we're just two journalism majors, and we can see that. The the numbers start to add up, so I I don't think it's a good sign if we can catch it. But yeah, Luca was great. He got that technical yelling at his own teammate, which I thought was hilarious. And then the referee jumped in the way and thought he was getting yelled at. I'll ask you one bit of trivia here. Do you know who holds the record and what the record is for most technicals by one player in a season? Um, I'm going to say it's DeMarcus Cousins. Is Rashid Wallace in the 2000 to 2001 season? Do you want to guess how many technicals he had in that one season? I'm going to say 21. 41. What? That's before they changed the rule with the the suspensions. He had one every other game. Man. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, yeah, Cousins sticks out as far as recent players. I know Dwight Howard used to get teed up a ton. Um, you, you you have to work pretty hard these days to get a technical, though. I mean, yeah, especially the star players and, and the coaches. Like, I mean, Mark never really crosses the line with like what he says, but he gets after the officials and. You know, I think he has one technical in his whole career. So that was the uh, one I was courtside with you for. Yeah, he. <laughs> yeah. Against Denver. Yeah. yeah. So, so you uh, you really got to get your money's worth there. That's that was a, a good, fun. That's time. a good piece of trivia. I appreciate it. I'll I'll see if I can get Barry with it next time if he's not listening to this one. But Isaiah Joe, another big Joe game in Dallas. He said it. You know, doesn't feel like anything different when he's playing the same um, same high level in the same place, but. He goes seven, or he goes four of seven from three, and gets a season high seven rebounds. You mentioned this in your article. In the two games at Dallas, Isaiah Joe is seven of ten from three and a plus thirty five in thirty minutes. Just ridiculous. Yeah, that'll play. Um, I hope it came across as a joke because it was a joke. But I also wrote that you know the Mavs have been looking for a second star next to Luca, and if Isaiah Joe shoots like this in you know half of his games every game at American Airlines Center, then maybe he's uh, maybe Dallas should get on the phone because, man, there's something about that gem. Isaiah Joe um, just, <laughs> uh, you know, erupted last night, had the breakout game a month and a half ago. But he's, you know, slowly but surely, Michael, he's he's gone from like a a fun story to talk about to like a legit a legitimate guy in this rotation. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it before, but he looks like he could maybe end up being the Duncan Robinson for this team that they've been wanting for a while as just like a movement shooter who can be reliable spacing. He's shooting 60% from the corners and 40% above the break from 3 roughly. He's just been awesome. I've you mentioned kind of jokingly, I was tongue in cheek telling my friends that he's this generation's Reggie Miller just joking around <laughs> but Isaiah Joe's been great and he's showing more and more to his game that he's not just a shooter I mean you and I were both surprised a few weeks ago I think it was against San Antonio when he had a, a step back jumper from the mid-range but there's more to his game yeah. than just spot ups yeah and he's never going to be a plus defender I mean he's he's got some height he's just very very slight but I think he competes hard on that end and um, Mark Dagnall has noticed that and like that's you know it, it's it's not so much a liability that's going to keep him off the floor. And I just think, um, you know, look at the, look at the Mavericks last night. I mean, they had Tim Hardaway Jr. Took 14 threes. They got Dorian Finney Smith out there, Reggie Bullock. I know that these aren't like the the greatest three point shooters, but it just shows you how it can unlock a guy like Luca and how it could also unlock a guy like Shea who just lives in the paint and attracts so much attention. Um, you know, you can take screenshots of when Shea is driving and there's like four guys surrounding him. So if you put a guy like Isaiah Joe um, there, I mean, that's just going to eventually stretch the defense out a little bit, give Shea a little more room. Um, and if Shea doesn't get more room with that, I mean, just keep knocking down threes. And then the last couple of things I'll touch on from this game is um, J-Dub, Jalen Williams continues to play well. Looks like he might assert himself as the second best score on this team or second best in points per game. I think it's still Lou for now, but he's really played well recently. And then our boy Poku, 22 minutes, zero points, just unfortunate, not his best game, but he's been playing some good basketball recently. Yeah, he, he has, um, not as, not his best game for sure, but he, 
overall, I thought it was a positive road trip for him. What you just said, I had never uh, never thought of as far as J-Dub being the second leading scorer. Are you, are you talking about this season or like down the road? I'm thinking this season. I don't. I think that Chet will still probably be the second option or maybe whoever they draft coming up soon. But, you know, I'd love to be blown away and Jalen Williams turns into that guy. But I, I do wonder, you know, can he get to that point where he is second on the team in scoring maybe? Yeah, so right now, um, two through four are Giddy Dort, J-Dub. So Giddy's averaging 14.7. Lou is at 13.8. And Jalen Williams is at 10.9. So obviously some work to do, but he's also behind those guys at minutes. And if he continues to play well, that's going to creep up a little bit. I mean, Giddy and Dort are full-time starters. J-Dub is not. Um, he has the best field goal percentage, if you just want to look at that raw stat. 53% hasn't shot it well um, from three, uh, doesn't get to the line as much as Dort does. I I would be surprised if he was the second leading scorer, but I think it would be an outstanding sign um, if he does end up being that guy. It would be great, and like you mentioned, you know, Josh and Lou are kind of solidified in that starting lineup. They're not going to play any more minutes than they already do, but there's still room for J-Dub to keep going. I mean, already in this early season, he went from being a bench guy to starting a lot of games to now it seems like he's starting most nights now. So maybe there's more of a role and more of a growth play for him going forward. And like you mentioned, he's shooting really well from the field. I think the three-point for him is going to bounce back. And I think he's a guy who could get into the lane and get some fouls. He did that against San Antonio in his big game um, and some other nights. But I think there's still a lot of room for uh, to grow for J-Dub. And we'll keep track on that. We'll see maybe if he can um, pass up Dort and become the second leading scorer on this team. You know, a guy, a dark horse candidate I might have picked for that before the season was would be Trey Mann, who's only averaging 8.8 a game and has seen his playing time go in the in, in the wrong direction and you know he, he's going to play every night but he's not he's not as, as steady part of the rotation as I thought he would be and um, I know we can talk about that another time but I, I'm, I'm just looking just at points per game and to see him down there you know below Poku below J-Dub a little surprising yeah I mean I think that was one of our first pods where we did trick or trend and one of the trends was um Trey at that point was the second leading scorer on this team when we were talking about it, but his his minutes just haven't been consistent. He's had a back injury a little bit here and there, and his shots just not really falling. To me, it feels like he's almost like too reliant on the step back, and I'd like to see him just get to more spot ups or get some easier shots. Obviously, the step back three is his secret weapon, but don't make it your your sole shot there that you're putting all your eggs in one basket on. Yeah, he's he's basically been the Thunder's least efficient shooter. Um, he's shooting 38% from the field, 29% from three. It's only ahead of Jay Will and Lindy, who have played six and five games. So um, as far as rotation players go, he has been the Thunder's least efficient. So I'm not too worried about it long term, but eventually, like, just the uh, how much fun it is to watch him play and create space with that step back, like, eventually it's got to go in. And I know they're not, like, you know, living or dying by it this season, but just, just something to monitor. For sure. It's it's a little bit of a something. It's not something that we're going to spend a whole hour on talking about and deep diving in, but Trey hopefully can turn it around this season. You had it where you mentioned in the pregame. He had a great game right after that. So I think it's on you, Joe, to make sure to ask Mark every 
pregame if Trey is going to play well tonight? Maybe I maybe I am the missing piece. Um, I'll uh, I'm just happy to see see Isaiah Joe play well. I mean that that's about all I can ask for as a as a fellow Joe. Just the United Nations of Joe right there. <laughs> oh boy. We'll get a Joe Mount Rushmore. But speaking of other monuments, got the Great Wall of SGA. Um, recently, you saw it against Memphis and against Cleveland as two teams really geared up to protect the paint and kind of build a wall against Shea. But it feels like more and more teams are kind of deploying these lineups, Joe, where it's like they're playing against Giannis or Zion where it's just a giant wall in front of the basket and just daring Shea to go one-on-four or one-on-five Almost like he's on game point playing 21 against his buddies in the park and they all just start to, to lock in there. But it's been really interesting. What do you think? How do you think that's affected him? And what are some things that he can do to counter it or the Thunder can do to counter it? Well, first off, the, the monument segue, A+. I hope everyone heard that. Um, and secondly, I trust your basketball acumen over mine. So I want I want to hear your answer as well. I, I honestly don't think there's much else the Thunder can do right now to like fix this problem because um, we're going to talk about some, you know, do a, do a little stats dive here in a little bit. But one thing that really jumped out about this team, not only this year, but last year, in the last two years, they lead the league in creating open three-point attempts. Uh, wide open. The NBA actually defines wide open three-point attempts when the, the defender is six or more feet away. So why I'm bringing that up is like we've talked about over and over and over how Shea attracts so much attention. He can kick out to shooters. Well, like that's not working because the Thunder's not a good three-point shooting team. They don't have a ton of shooters to surround him by. That's why I think Joe is such a, a good fit next to Shea and Mike Mascala and you know Chet Holmgren when he's back. But Right now, it's like teams can just dare the other four players on the floor to beat them. And, you know, I don't think if you're the Thunder, you don't want Shea really changing up his game too much. You don't want to change your style of play for this season alone. I think eventually this is um, the way they want to play. So I I don't see a quick fix, but I, I'm interested to, to hear what you think. Obviously, the biggest thing that could just change is guys making shots. They went on that hot streak a few weeks ago, and you could kind of see the blueprint for this team where guys are hitting shots and Shea's driving. You're like, oh, it's supposed to be like this. Yeah. But they're, like you mentioned, number one in wide open threes attempted per game. That's That's not an accident you know that's a scouting report thing with some of the guys the teams that are playing against them it's not like the every team just comes in they're like oh we forgot to defend the three-point line against oklahoma city like this is a whole scouting it's intentional Yeah. yeah exactly so i guess the only little things i could say is a lot of people would say well you need more movement you need more cutters but if Shea's driving and guys are cutting into the lane all you're doing is creating more of a traffic jam and getting more bodies in the way a little thing maybe that they could do, Shay talked about working more off-ball. Maybe they can use him in some more off-ball actions, even as just mm-hmm. a decoy to free up the lane for some guys. Um, and then as far as Shay, you know, we don't want to take him out of his game. Uh, I don't like the sidesteps three, but I think that teams are more and more daring him to shoot threes and just comfortable with that. And I'd like to see him, I don't know, embrace that a little bit on some of those where it's like a pick and roll where the guys go under on him. I totally agree. Um, 
I think he's gone away from the three too much. Now, I'm with you. I don't want to see what we saw at the beginning of last season with the sidestep high arcing three that's like an incredibly difficult shot. I mean, that's something you can, you know, go to when the shot clock's winding down or something like that. Um, but there are probably, I don't know, two to three times per game that it's hard to nitpick anything he's doing offensively, but two to three times per game, I'm thinking, Hey, he should have shot that, you know, like where it's even maybe an open catch and shoot look from the top of the arc, or he just has the space. Like you said, if the defender goes under the screen um, and he, I mean, he's attempting three, three pointers per game down from 5.3 last season, down from 4.9 this season before that, when he shot 42%. Now, last year he shot 30%. This year he's at 32. Um, for his career, he's at 34.5. And, like, you know, even if that's what he is, if he's a 35% three point shooter, I mean, that's about league average. So he could still use that um, to help his the other parts of his game. I, I mean, to to keep defenses a little more honest. Yeah, I'd like to ask him about that at some point because it felt like, you know, last year and the years before he was a lot more reliant on the three and then it seemed like he had an injury and then came back and it's been mid-range ever since. But it's not that he can't shoot. I mean, one of the big indicators on future shooting percentage is free throw percentage. Joe, he was an 80% free throw shooter. He was 80, 80.7, 80.8, 81 last year and then 93 this year. I do want to ask him about that too, about how you just take such a big jump as a free throw shooter. But at some point, this is going to translate to the three-pointer as well, and it'll help his percentages like you were talking about if you can take just better shots and not as many sidestep threes. But those ones where the guys go under, even if you're only shooting 34 35% with how dynamic of a player he is, that's enough. Yeah, it's like it's like running a play-action pass, you know, when everyone's expecting the run. And, you know, you're, you're going to, to catch defenses off guard there. The, what he's doing from the free throw line is remarkable because you just rattled off those percentages. He was like the most consistent free throw shooter at between 80 and 81%. And for it to go up this much, and you know, last night he was, what, 13 of 13, I think, from the free throw line. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure his answer would just be like, off-season work and reps. I mean, that's how anyone gets better at free throws, but like that's how you go from 81 to 84% maybe. Not not to not to like one of the best free throw shooters in the league. It's it's nuts. Yeah, anyone who takes a 13% jump up in efficiency, there's there's something going on there that's different. I mean, unless you're somebody who's like Dwight Howard and you go from 43% to 56% maybe, but when you're taking the amount of shots that he is from the free throw line and hitting it at that rate, it's definitely got to be something. And then um, on top of that, some of the offensive issues, more guys need to get to the line. Shea is obviously the only guy who really gets to the line consistently other than Lou Dort sprinkled it here and there. And then I think we mentioned it the other day, but it's awesome to have this many ball handlers, facilitators, and playmakers on this team who are unselfish, but at the same time, you need someone who can put the ball in the basket at the end of the possession, or it's just all window dressing with all the ball movement and people movement. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's always a good time to take a step back and tell yourself that this is not like the 
actualized version of the Thunder that Chet Holmgren is, is sitting over there and that there are still other moves to be made. I mean, they're a lot better than they were last year, but like, you know, the flaws that we can see on this roster are obviously the flaws that they can see on this roster and, and um, you know, certain guys incrementally improving um, is going to help. I mean, whoever they add in the draft, whoever they trade for in the next couple of seasons, add in free agency. I mean, this, this isn't the finished product that they're ready to go forward with, but I think like the, the bones are in place as far as like, I mean, Shea being the guy has settled a lot of fears, if there were any fears going into this season. Um, so now you just you just um, try to figure out how to best maximize him. And I think that's why we're talking so much about Chet Holmgren, just because like a lot of the problems the Thunder has, spacing the floor, protecting the rim, like there's a you know skinny seven-footer over there who's supposed to be pretty good at these things. That's one of the better things about the Thunder this year is that you know the type of guy you need, and the better part of it is he's on the roster already. You're not waiting for ping pong balls, hoping and crossing your fingers like last year. The hardest part yeah. is done. You already got him. But um, just on top of that, um, I wasn't saying guys need to be like Kevin Durant and take all these shots, but I'm just wanting some willingness from guys because some guys look hesitant like a JRE or a Wiggins where it's like you're, you're open, take the shot, and they keep moving the ball and they keep moving it. But just a little bit more assertiveness from some guys. If I could just like take Lou Dortz. You want more Lou Dortz. You want more, you well, want more Lou What I was going to say is if I could take like 20% of his like assertiveness and just like sprinkle 5% on different guys, we'd be really, we'd be in a much better place right now. Tell you what, Lou Dort does not mind getting some, some shots up and um, hey, it's easier. We, we've talked about that a lot. It's, it, it's okay when he's as good as he is defensively, but um you're right. Like if some guys could have his mindset, uh, not to not to bring it back to Isaiah Joe, but like that's one of the good things is he's in there to do pretty much one thing, and that's to knock down shots. And like if he's got space, he's not afraid to let it go. I mean that's what he's that's what he's in there for. So um, they need, yeah, they need more play finishers. That's that's for sure. Um, the offense can look pretty, but eventually someone other than Shea's going to have to put it in the basket. I think J-Dub has been the most encouraging player on that front in the last couple of weeks. He's very aggressive, seems to be very strong and assertive in how he gets to the rim, how he finishes. He's got that really weird like cross-body floater he's got going, um, and it's, it's quite effective. It's very strange to watch but i like it um but yeah i mean he he he's gonna help shay out quite a bit i think just with you know kind of being a more refined lou dort on that offensive end right now all paths lead back to isaiah joe the the hit man the hired gun he goes you, out there you, you said it not me no love isaiah <laughs> joe he goes out there he's like i'm here to shoot it's like well yeah could you do it it's like i'm here to shoot <laughs> <laughs> Love that about him. But we mentioned it talking about some of the defensive issues. There have been some things that have really, you know, continued to be a problem. I'll just talk about it first. But some of it is there's a Chet shaped hole on the roster, obviously, that we've mentioned. They've been facing some teams on a hot streak. But, you know, the center is the 
uh, key to the defense. It's the anchor for your defense. There's so many teams in the past, and I talked about this before. Gary Payton was the last defensive player of the year who was a guard other than Marcus Smart. All of them are centers and bigs. You see these elite defenses just kind of like held up by your Rudy Gobert's, your Giannis's, your Anthony Davis's, and other guys like that, and that's not by accident. So the Thunder have this kind of like problem that begets other problems where if you don't have rim protection that invites more people to drive and more teams to attack the lane and they have Poku and Baisley who can block shots but they're not exactly traditional rim protectors and deterrents like a Dikembe Mutombo or any guys like that so all these guys are driving and then the Thunder don't have shot blocking so they have to collapse their defense which gives up more open threes and it's just kind of like getting killed by a thousand cuts or picking your poisons but you know, like we mentioned, Chet does, he's not going to fix everything, but he does solve many of these issues. Yeah, here, here's the good news. The Thunder last season was 17th in defensive rating. This season, they're 18th in defensive rating. And you would look at this team and think they do not even have the personnel to be, you know, a top 20 defense in the league. You, you would think they'd be in that bottom 10. And so, and that's playing without a rim protector of any kind. I, I mean, Darius Baisley, he had another one last night. Those, you know, blocking three-pointers and just blocking shots on the perimeter, that's, like, really helpful, obviously. But it's not like, you know, he's, he's just down there, you know, near the restricted area, you know, swatting everything. Like, uh, he's Rudy Gobert or something. Um, Poku is, has gotten better. You've got Dort as that point of attack defender. You've got Shea who's gotten better, but you're missing that uh, that Chet-sized hole, like you said, a, a very narrow, very very skinny, slim hole um, that they could uh, that they're going to be able to go to next season. And another way that's going to help is just rebounding. I mean, I think one of the biggest defensive issues is, is rather simple. Um, they just give up way too many offensive rebounds. And I think a lot of that, I mean, has to do with their size. I mean, whether it's Poku or JRE or Darius Baisley or um, whoever's down there, um, they're giving up, I forgot what it was, but so, maybe the most. Uh, or, 12.6 uh, offensive rebounds per game. Which yeah, is, which uh, is leading most, to yeah. a ton of second chance points. Um, so just like giving teams extra possessions. And I mean, that's, that's kind of like the easy stuff that, just having more size would clean up. But yeah, when you don't have the traditional rim protector, you have to do things differently. And that'll I'll give them credit for that because they are number one in forcing turnovers. That's part of your 25 stats and 25 games in. So they're doing other things. It's not like they're just like, well, we don't have a rim protector. Looks like we're just going to play this however we can. But they're, they're doing other things to stay competitive. And that's showing because they're staying in a lot of these games. But you know, the rim is beachfront property. That's why the Thunder lead the league in drives, and they're just getting hammered on the other end. But hopefully we'll we'll see, the, see some of those things change uh, in the upcoming years to come. But, I mean, even if you look at the Thunder's past, some of their best teams, you have Serge Ibaka back there, you have Steven Adams, you have your Jeremy Grants of the world, and that's where I really is the back line or the spine of your defense is. Yeah, and a different era, but like Kendrick Perkins was brought in to be, um, he, he was not a, not a rim protector um, that we would think of now, but, you know, in that age of the NBA, you wanted someone to go against a guy like Andrew Bynum and, you know, against the other big guys 
um, the Marcus Gasols, the Zach Randolphs, those types of guys. Um, so they don't. I mean, they do have that guy. He's just not on the floor right now. And the yeah, they're just giving up way too many points in, in the paint. We we often talk about how effective the Thunder is in the paint offensively. Third most points per game in the paint. If you flip that around, I think they're third from last in paint points allowed. So it's like, um, yeah, they're they're killing teams in the paint, but they're also getting killed in the paint. Yeah, no, he wasn't a great rim deterrent, but Perk was great about just deterring guys and kind of funneling them into surge. The Thunder are trying to do that now, but the problem is there's no one to funnel them to, so it's just kind of right down the lane, a little Olay defense, just straight down the middle. But mm-hmm. We'll get into other things. Um, I really did enjoy your article, the 25 stats, 25 games in, and I just wanted to talk about a few of them that caught my eye. Um, the number of clutch games, they're fifth in the NBA this season in clutch games. They were 19th last season. Just seems pretty good for a team who's been maligned for some of their rebuild by the national media, but they're playing a lot of close and competitive games this season. Yeah, and they, I mean, this whole road trip um, where the Thunder went 2-3, and three, um, almost all of them were close competitive games decided in, in uh, crunch time. So I, I don't even – that updated number probably – or the new number probably went up a little bit. But, you know, it's a it's a great mark of competitiveness. It's just looking at total clutch games. And um, cause you, you look at the fewest. It's kind of easy to guess. It's the San Antonio Spurs, who are on a three-game win streak. I have no idea how that happened, but they are. Um, but they've played the fewest close games. They've got the worst point differential by far. Um, when I looked at this a few days ago, it's probably changed now because they've rattled off a few wins. Um, but they had, like, the 12th worst point differential in NBA history. So, if like, we're, we're not even we're not even throwing around the T word these days with the Thunder because they're – they are being, they are playing, um, you know, competitive games against good teams, and um, you know that's that's the mark of improvement. Well, and this is what you want. This is how you get a better chance to evaluate these guys. You want to see them in competitive environments, in games that matter. And the games don't matter when you're down by 30 and Shea's sitting on the bench and guys are just kind of running around like it's the Y and just trying different things out. You want there to be some consequence and some level, I don't know, of, I don't know, the games need to be serious for these guys to really lock in and play different ways. I think you're seeing a lot with guys like Poku who have really uh, tightened the screws on different things where he had a lot more freedom in the past when they're down by 20 or 30 in a game. But now when you're going into crunch time and Shea's playing at an all-star level, it puts a little bit more pressure on those guys to really lock in and play at a, a higher level. Yeah, and those games have revealed something about Shea and just sort of his clutch gene as well. I mean, you think of some of the best moments, most memorable moments so far this season, um, the game winner at Washington, uh, the would-be game winner against Milwaukee. Like, in close games, he's really uh, stepped up in those moments, which which is another encouraging sign. Yeah, close games are the close games down the stretch are the ones where guys really learn a lot about themselves and their teammates and coaches learn about the guys on the team. So the more that you get a sample size of that, especially with as much as we talk about the combination of Giddy and Shea, I think is going to be really, really good and hopefully um, impactful going forward. Yeah. What, what other, uh, any other stats grab, grab yes. your attention? or 28th in points in the paint allowed per game. They were 18th last season. That goes back to some of the things we were talking about earlier with yeah. the lack of rim protection, but just, just – 
it feels even weirder that they're further down the line. I guess Derek Favors was way more impactful and Isaiah Roby than we ever considered. Yeah, I don't. That is that is interesting. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think it's either one of those guys. Although, you know, taking away two of the two guys who can play the five uh, might might hurt you a little bit there. But yeah, that that's just like an area where, you know, if this if this team, I mean, if this team was like, you know, fighting for playoff positioning, they probably wouldn't have Joe Holmgren on the roster. But if for some reason they got someone else's pick, they still have Chet, but they still want to win this year. That that's that's an area they they could fill. Um, they would have filled in free agency or now in the in the trade market. Now the Thunder's not looking to do that, um, and like that's that's not something where you know Sam Presti's losing sleep at night because they're twenty eighth in paint points allowed. I think it's just like product of how this roster is constructed right now. Yeah, and it, um, I wanted to mention this earlier. This is not a diss or anything to those guys on the roster it's just this is how the roster is built and they're doing the best they can with the guys on the team and they don't really have the personnel to protect the rim at this point based on who's healthy with chet out um next up we've got their second points off turnovers they were 25th last season that is a huge swing to go from bottom of the nba nearly to second in the nba yeah and i'll add something to that i mean it, it it's in the piece but second in points off turnovers and first in points off turnovers allowed so like they have this huge advantage in turnovers and that they're turning teams over a lot um they're capitalizing off those chances and then offensively they're not committing very many turnovers and when they do teams aren't capitalizing off of the thunders turnover so i think that's a very good sign especially for a young team um i think it speaks to um kind of how protective Shea has been uh, with the basketball, even handling it as much as he, he has been. He's got a really good assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought those two things were – they jumped out at me because earlier in the season, I don't know if you were here for this game, but, like, Mark Dignall basically said, you know, this this isn't a defense that is, like, designed to force turnovers. Um it's almost just like a byproduct of, you know, playing sound within their scheme, but also playing really hard, um, which the hustle stats certainly back that up. But I mean, the amount of length that they can put on the floor, even without that like traditional big, I mean, they're, they're just getting in passing lanes and, you know, making things kind of tough for people. So I, I'd like to follow up with Mark about that because, you know, it's not just a little blip anymore where, you know, 30%, of the way through the season or whatever it is. And um, they're, they're still turning teams over at a really high rate. Very high rate. I saw this on Twitter. This wasn't in your piece, but someone put out a stat of um, the Thunder actually are, well, you said that the Thunder are leading the NBA in loose balls recovered. The Thunder are also second in the NBA, only behind the Toronto Raptors in the most extra possessions created by offensive rebounds and forced turnovers. That gets the Thunder an approximate 30 extra possessions per game, which is incredible. And you see that they're one of the highest um, teams up there in the category of shots attempted per game, and that's a great way to do it even without some of your uh, great rebounders out there on the floor. You know what Lou Dort's best offensive asset is? It's creating more possessions by drawing moving screens. Like, he does it all the time. 
Um, and that's that, that's really a big one. I mean, they're just finding these little ways in the margins um, to create extra chances. Um, you mentioned uh, the loose balls recovered. They're also number one or number two. I forgot what it is. You've you've got it pulled up, but in charges drawn. Number one. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like those, you know. Old school principles. Let's you know take those charges, dive after loose balls, everything like that, and, and the Thunder's doing it. I'm sure that Mark Dagnall. I just get the vibe. He's a big Hoosiers guy. <laughs> yeah. You think they're like he, he's like rolling the ball out of bounds, and they're all in the line, like trying to swipe it back in bounds. I think it's that. I think it's a lot of whiteboard, a lot of stadium steps. Just you know, we don't get access to that. That's what they're doing before five when they're in the arena and they don't let us on the court. Just a lot of stadium steps for Poku. He wa- he walks into Madison Square Garden and, and measures the rim and the length of the floor and everything, and it's like this is just like Paycom Center. Exactly. Yeah, Mark is the one who's <laughs> airing up all the balls, making sure that everything's great. We we're gonna have at some point a segment in those these pre games or post games where we just talk to Mark about pop culture references because he even like missed some Michael Jackson stuff last week, but. That's a that's a tale for another time. You mentioned it. They are number one in most charges drawn per game, which seems like a little thing, but they were 25th last year. I guess just adding Jalen Williams from Arkansas, that's just what happens is you just get all these charges added to your team, even if he doesn't play that much. But what Chip England is to shooting for this Thunder team, I guess that's what Jalen Williams, J. Will, is for charges drawn. Yeah, the guy's not even playing, but he, his... Uh... His aura has just infiltrated this team, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this guy is an elite charge taker. We're gonna, we're gonna do it for him." Um, Kenrich Williams, uh, I'm looking updated, so he is he is number three now. He was number two, but he's number three in, in charges drawn. Hasn't played in the last couple of games um, with a knee sprain, but he's drawn ten charges. Kevin Love, how about that? Old man Kevin Love, number one, with 13 charges drawn. Clint Capella is number 11. I, I thought the, the funniest thing about this stat was the Bucks. I, when I wrote this just a few days ago, the Bucks as a team had drawn two charges. They're, uh, you know, they, they, they've, uh, they've, they've won an NBA title. They're, they're trying to win another. They're not going to mess around and take too many charges out there. No, they lost it when P.J. Tucker was off the team. They're the, <laughs> they might be the league leader in charges uh, were on the other end where Giannis is bullying through some guys. But, yeah, that is surprising, too, the whole time. I'm sure Jay Will got that in the first half of a bunch of college games. Yeah, and, like, I mean, why, why, why try to sacrifice your body to draw charges when you've got Giannis and Brooke Lopez just, like, swatting everything? I mean, there's just no need to... Um, Put your body on the line. I I, res, I respect the veteran Bucks. I think the oldest team in the league, and the Thunder is the youngest team, so um, the the Thunder can afford to take that physical beating. I guess. Yeah, young bodies, young legs. That was the the Poku quote the other day. Where remember they asked him if if he was worried about playing a back to back. All the guys because they just played an overtime game. Are you worried about playing a back to back? It's not important that they got blown out by Houston the next day, but Poku saying up there on stage, he's like, "We're all twenty. We'll be fine." What what do you think about um, drawing charges in pickup games? Not a fan, <laughs> unless there's some guy who's just like like I mentioned, like Giannis just barreling towards the rim. <laughs> there have been times where I played at OU and I played some pickup. 
and I drew a charge not knowing I was drawing a charge because I was just standing there and a guy hit me like a heat-seeking missile. And I, I wasn't yeah. like trying to sell it and fall over. I just fell over. He's like, you're really going to call that charge? I was like, I didn't know you were running at me. You actually just hit me over. But we'll, we'll get into our rules discussion another time. I've got some, some hot takes on the charge rule. Maybe we can get in there. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll get a one-on-one interview with uh, one of the referees, even though they're, they're locked in their room in the arena. I noticed that. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get that get that interview maybe if there's a poll report after the game we can nominate you as the is the poll reporter and you can just um kind of go rogue and ask whatever you want i appreciate it my backup plan was just to slide notes under their door and just see what happens <laughs> uh i'm just gonna pretend that i never heard that because if you do it i'm just gonna plead ignorance and be like i have got no idea what michael's thinking. exactly no it's like do you believe in makeup calls check yes or no <laughs> Just stuff like that. Just oh. dumb things. But that's probably... My, my, uh, my, le- my least favorite thing that officials do is wait until a guy either makes or misses the layup to call a foul at the rim. Like, you know, a, a layup rims out. There's some contact. They ask for it. And then it's crazy late just because they missed the layup. Um, that really bugs me. It's like a foul either way or it's not a foul either way like let's not just you know if he made the layup then he probably wasn't foul like come on let's let's do away with all that everybody knows it's only a foul if you miss that's why poku has been fouled every single time he goes in the lane that's that's what i choose to believe even if the referees won't call it no no take fouls though that's that's made the game more enjoyable i'll tell you that much that has been something i've been hammering for a while and just tweeting out and whenever i found out that they were going to do it in summer league that was just like a huge achievement for me i felt like i had been um vindicated for a while no one really cared what i thought but it was it was a big day for me it's a a big day for uh for everyone's personal time too to not have to slow the game down yeah uh, those those unnecessary whistles yeah i was walking down the street people are asking me what are you smiling about and i feel like the transition take fouls in just this is a great day but it's always a great day joe talking thunder basketball with you i have been saying that i was going to do it and i have done it i have made a thunder buddies podcast twitter it is at thunder buddies uh pod I gotta follow it. Yeah, I, you were the first follow the, they said you have to follow somebody and i couldn't search for anybody else Joe is number one, but wow. that's where I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna post all the podcasts. You and I will probably retweet them. I'll put some graphics on there, some different highlights. But that will be your go-to for a lot of Thunder Buddies content. Um, we're working on some new intro music, uh, maybe some new uh, art for the podcast logo, and some other stuff. Maybe some T-shirts along the way. Maybe some giveaways. So stay tuned for that. It should be a good time. But at Thunder Buddies Pod. Michael, you're doing big things. Um, this is exciting, and um, yeah, everyone, everyone, go follow that. I am uh, typing on my phone as we speak to uh, to follow it back. Oh, at Thunderbud Pod. I've been saying it the wrong time this whole. Oh, this has no. just been a test for anyone who's been listening the whole time, but it will be retweeted and factually correct by the next time we record, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we clearly have some things to iron out, but we're going to get it, folks. We're going to get it. Yeah, you can follow ours or the uh, Twitter account that's about WCW uh, Thunder Rewatch 
from professional wrestling in the 90s. So both great accounts, but at ThunderBudPod is where you can find us. Do you have anything to... I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big professional wrestling guy. We're going to have a deep dive one of these days on just different things you and I are going to talk about. It'll get three downloads, and it'll just be you, me, and like Jerry Ramsey, but it'll be a great time. Uh, I think you were going to ask me if I have anything to plug. Um, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of home games coming up, so we'll have takeaways as always. Um, I feel a little sheepish saying this because I think I said it on the last podcast, but I'm still working on it. I'm efforting an Isaiah Joe feature, trying to talk to some um, guys who played with him growing up, talk to family and friends, just get, getting to know his path a little bit better um, because he's been one of the breakouts this season. Um, and yeah, as, as always, I always tell people this, hit me up if you have any story ideas on Twitter, email me, whatever, talk to me at a game um, because I I, uh, I take any any request, I, I have the right to turn them down if I think they're a, a bad story. But um, yeah, hit me up because uh, looking for more things to write about. I'll tell you right now, I've had some stories turned down, but don't let that deter you. I, I'm sure all of you are more creative than me. I've gotten a couple DMs that were nice talking about the podcast. Keep those coming. Love to hear it. Anything you like about the show, anything you don't, please direct that towards Joe exclusively. I don't want to see it. <laughs> but... Thank you so much for listening. Send, send, send him to Barry. I don't think he checks his DMs. Just yeah, send just him send him to Barry. It'll just get filtered <laughs> into there. We'll never know. But any positives I will take. But I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, Joe, for coming on. I know you were exhausted. You just took a nap coming off all these flights. You probably deserve to take another one before we get to that game tomorrow. But thank you so much for listening. We are the Thunder, Thunder Buddies podcast brought to you by the Oklahoman. Follow our Twitter at Thunder bud pod and we'll be back on friday